Hi, everyone. I'm Josh. And I'm Jim. And this is The Dapper Meeple. This show is about our love of gaming, the games we play, and the gaming community around this passion. So pull up a chair, put on your Dapper Meeple hat, and join us at the table. Hey kids, remember, this is an adult podcast and may contain adult language. Also, Dapper Meeple hat, not required. Hey all, we're going to Gen Con. That's right, we'll be with the BA Games guys at booth 464. So we're going to talk about it. We're also taking a look at how we're doing mid-year, how great it is to have a friendly local game store of your own, and just what is a gaming pedigree. All that, our crowdfunding roundup, and more on this episode of The Dapper Meeple. So I'm one of these people that feels like the English language is important in how we wield it. I mean, I am a published author. (laughs) So it's important, the words that we use. And we've had one that we've kicked around since the beginning of this podcast. When we talk to guests, when we have people on, we use the term gaming pedigree. And I was talking to a friend of mine. She had just listened to our show. Uh, She wanted to uh, reiterate that she thinks that we're ridiculous. I can't remember exactly why, but I mean... I mean, there's plenty of examples, I'm sure. She we could use. probably do a top 10 list on that. We could. Yeah, yeah. Um, but she's like, she goes, I kind of feel bad because I don't have a gaming pedigree. And I was like, well, what do you mean? She's like, you know, I didn't really grow up gaming. Like, She was playing video games and she's kind of just as of late has started getting into D&D and tabletop RPGs and things like that. And I was like, whoa, whoa, we need to explain this because uh, we use that term. I know it's used a lot in like the dog breeding circles <laughs> to me, to mean pure blood. So it's that kind of episode. <laughs> yeah. Stay with me, guys. Stay with me. Yeah, yeah. Like the dog's lineage. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. For us, it's more like how did you get here to the table? Yeah. Right. Because we've had several guests on. Um, even you and I have come to this through different channels. Yeah. Yeah, I think we we've talked before about how much we appreciate diversity in the gaming community and how important it is around the table. Right. And I I think it's important for us to make clear that that's what we are referring to when we talk about gaming pedigree. It's not, you know, did did you win any gaming tournaments growing <laughs> up? Were you a chess champion? No, it, it's it's how did you find your way to the table? You know, right? What what have you what have you experienced? What games do you play? What games did you first start playing? You right. know, what path did you take to get here? Right. We talk like Montel came to this because he was a comic book nerd as a kid. Yeah. Uh, we we were definitely banned from Dungeons and Dragons when we were kids because again satanic panic uh and our parents were pretty baptisty when we were younger that's one way to put it is that that? (laughs) yeah uh but you came to this by finding a love of magic and board games yeah um i found my way here through rpgs after being in the navy so i was in japan because i thought it was safe mom couldn't catch me then Uh, like my, the friend I was talking to, she was like, I've definitely been a gamer all my life, but I didn't start like, you know, RPGs and stuff till later. It's like, that's it. That's fine. 
because yeah. gaming, whether we do it on a board or we do it on a table or a piece of paper or with dice, or if we do it with a controller, there yeah. are so many things that are similar and that bring people together, you know, just through the act of gaming. So, yeah, um, if you ever hear us use that term and you feel like, wow, I really don't fit into that. Yes, you do. Yeah. Yes, you do. You just got to find what your gamer pedigree is. And yeah. at the end of the day, that's fine. Yeah, it's definitely not a a gatekeeping type of term. Right. That's not what we're doing at all. Um, it's instead more of a term we like to use to figure out how people got here. Right. You know, um, like our, our most recent episode where we got a chance to talk with John and Sherry from Boardwalk. You know, Sherry grew up, her dad used to play games with John. Right. Like, that's how they kind of, like, she got into the hobby watching them and then, of course, playing games on her own with the family. Like, yeah, like, not everybody, though, grew up playing games. Mm -hmm. um, some people just didn't have that kind of childhood or that family or whatever it was. So they came later on. And that's perfectly fine. Right. Um, but that is what, when we use that term, that is what we're referring to. That was a good episode. If you haven't listened to it, I will encourage you to go back because also numbers are good. It was the first in a segment that we're calling Your Friendly Local Game Store. And we've actually gotten some good feedback on that. People that listened and said, hey, I have a friendly local game store that I would like you to contact. And we reached out to a couple of them and we'll hear back from them eventually here. Uh, we're doing a lot of prep right now for other stuff going on. But yeah, uh, we're excited to talk to people running their local game store because they're kind of the beating heart of this movement yeah and we've had some really fun opportunities with talking to people locally so we really wanted to expand that out um like i said we talked with boardwalk which was down in south carolina we've reached out to some on the west coast uh we've reached out to some kind of in the middle of the country um even some uh, still in virginia but a little further out so you know we'll see um, you know, scheduling wise, getting people in, making episodes about it. But yeah, if you have a local game store that you enjoy, you know, visiting and buying things from, let us know. We'd love to reach out to them and just see what their experience is, you know, running a store. So we're about halfway through the year and we thought we would do kind of a mid-year update, see where we are. Um, I guess let's start with our 10 by 10. It was something that we started or we announced in December that we were going to try. We have a list of 10 games that we're trying to play 10 times through the year. And let me go ahead and tell you, we're behind. All right? It's just, that's where we are. <laughs> it was going to be a tall task no matter what we did. But we have not put our best foot forward when it comes to a 10 by 10 challenge. Maybe we should have 5 by 5 did. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> We'll we'll try it. We'll try next next year. year. Yeah, uh, but no, we are still working through it. We we still only have nine games. We have not picked a tenth yet. Um, who knows? That might happen when we go end up going to Gen Con next month. Uh, but right now, we still have our nine games. Uh, I think we have almost played all of them at least once. I think we've gotten all the way through the list. Uh, no, the that I know there's at least one we haven't played: Lord of the Rings: Journeys in Middle Earth. I right. think that might be the only one we have not played once yet. That's on our list. Uh, I know we have gotten we've gotten quite a few plays of Moonrakers in, quite a few plays of Marvel Zombies, which that's probably going to grow once you know I get the rest of the stuff in sometime soon. Hopefully, we hear, we hear rumors that Galactus is on his way. Yeah, hopefully by before we go to Gen Con, that would be cool. Um, I keep seeing all the posts of everybody else getting theirs, and it's making me super jealous. Just saying, 
Um, but yeah, so we have made progress. We're not quite, you know, at that where we should be halfway mark, but we're getting there. <laughs> we could really, with a couple of solid weekends of camping and gaming, um, we could totally catch up. <laughs> We're going to have to go out into the middle of nowhere <laughs> with nothing but board games. With no cell service. Be left alone to finish my board games. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, that's good. It's been a fun little challenge so far. Um, I think we are. I'll speak for myself. Um, I think I am guilty more of anything of leaning more to the collection side of board games. Yeah. As opposed to the playing side of board games. Yeah, I'm definitely like it's definitely a thing. Um, like I, I, I love all the ones that we've had so far. We've played. I don't think there's, there may be one game that we've played that I just was not crazy about, but everything else I've enjoyed playing. I've enjoyed sitting around the table, even if it was just you and me figuring it out or if we bring people over. Uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. There's definitely, uh, I, I just like to collect them. Yeah. I, and there, so I will say though, I am pretty picky about my collection I feel like I have a decent grasp on games that I like now. Right. Um, that being said, in our collection of, uh, I think we're pushing 150 games now. Yeah. Um, I'd say there's less than 10 that I would consider getting rid of. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be right there with you. Um, not not just because I want to like hoard them all like some weird goblin hoarding stuff, but I, I think there there's only 10 of them. I really say that I wouldn't ever want to play again. Yeah. Um. And I honestly don't know if I could come up with exactly 10, but um, probably even less than that. Just because we've had good times across the board with almost everything in our collection. Yeah. You know, we do have a shelf of shame still. We're working on that. We're getting there. Yeah. We're getting um, there. I, I've enjoyed playing multiple times. Because one of the things that we do a lot is we'll play a game and we'll play it. And then because we have so many, there's just so many options to get through. With this 10 by 10 challenge, what we really wanted to do was play a game and focus on it and play it again and then play it with its expansions. Uh, like with Moonrakers, we've worked the first and second expansion. Yeah. We've worked the first and second expansion in. Yep. There's one more that we have to work in. Yep. Uh, and learning the rules and the, how it changes the game. I Like I, the first expansion, the ties that bind, like I love faction points yep. that you earn through just playing the game the way you were and then you could spend them like that has that has really changed the game for me because you've got an extra out you know you've got some other options in the game like if you need an extra turn you can buy it and you know sometimes you're if you've played this game it's a deck builder and sometimes you are drawing for the card you want yeah yeah absolutely and i i do also really enjoy that aspect of it it adds minor complexity to the game uh, but i feel like gives it a more robust feeling yeah Um, because you're not just relying on like what you put in the deck you do have some other options and things like that to kind of bail you out yeah so yeah um that's why i really have enjoyed digging into these games a little bit further Mm -hmm. um like we have found that we really love uh vagrant song yes um, like the first playthrough, I was kind of iffy on it. Uh, but as we kind of progressed deeper into the story, um, it's kind of a funny little story. Um, but it's been really cool. It's it, a funny little story with 1930s ghosts that want to murder people. So there's hates. that. Hates. <laughs> but yeah, uh, but it's it's a good game. Like it really is. And the, 
I, I feel like, unfortunately, a lot of times, like you said, we get so many options, we'll play a game once or twice, and then it'll sit on the shelf until we eventually make our way back around right. to it. Um, but this is really give us a chance to kind of dive into this. So for the end of the year, I mean, this last six months, uh, we've got a couple of big things coming up. Uh, the first one here in three weeks, we're going to Gen Con for the first time. Yeah. Uh, that's what this episode is going to be about. This is our Gen Con preview episode. We've pulled like 10 games that we're really excited to go see. Ish. And I am sure, yeah, there's a couple extra honorable mentions in there. I am sure that we haven't even scratched the surface. Nope. Looking at the exhibitors hall, it is massive. We're talking <laughs> huge. And I know you can't see us because this is a podcast, but I don't know if I'm built for this stuff anymore. Like, <laughs> it's gotten old. I've already retired for one career. Uh, <laughs> I would be lying if I said I'm not concerned about not having the physical stamina to make it through four days. That's fair. But uh, I think we got some options. Um, on a slightly related note, I did see Sam's just put out a new like multi-Red Bull pack that we'll probably be taking with us. I was going to say, that's getting packed in the car. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I, I'm really excited, though. First time going to Gen Con. Um, so when I first started, um, dipping my toe into D and D, the guy who always was like our forever DM of that group, um, he, he and his wife always went to Gen Con every year. That was right. like their one thing. If they did nothing else, that was, that was what they were doing. Um, uh, he absolutely loved it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm excited. Uh, obviously we've been in PAX a couple of times now. Uh, we enjoy PAX. Yep. This we'll is be- going to be much bigger. Yep. Um, We'll be going back there again this year. I mean, that's the plan anyway. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this is this is four days of gaming. This is f- at least fifty thousand people. Um, yeah, we'll we'll we will share our insights that we have going into it, and then uh, talk about some of the games that we're looking forward to seeing, and kind of go from there. So welcome to our first ever Gen Con preview at the Dapper Meeple, uh, because it's the first time we're going to Gen Con, yep. and we have some experience with cons, but uh, we've looked at some games that we want to see. We'll talk about some of the stuff that we've read that we're looking forward to. So I would like to drop this little caveat in here. We have obviously never been to Gen Con. Right. Um, these opinions that we have and ideas may be proven completely false once we get there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Also, the games that we're talking about, we know very little about. Right. Um, some of them are out. Some of them have been out for a little while. Um, many of them like, are very, very new. Right. So if we say something incorrectly about a game, it is what it is. These are just games we're excited about uh, that we want to talk a little bit about and hopefully kind of shed some light on. And I'm sure there's going to be a ton of things that when we get there that we're going to be like, I didn't even know this was going to be here. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We did uh, look at like a survival guide I read from Geek Dad. Yeah. uh, Which was kind of like, hey, here is the whole con experience. Now, he was going to Indianapolis and he flew there, uh, which we're going to drive. Yep. Because we're, yeah, that makes sense for us. Uh, And he had like a family of four he was taking. And this time it's just you and me. Not like regular packs where we bring along 
the freeloaders. <laughs> That's the rest of our family, and we're kidding if you're listening. We love you. Um, no, but when we go to PAX, it's been me and you. Your wife comes, my girlfriend, our mother comes with us. And while we're at PAX, like, trying they, they to run do- the marathon... Yeah, they get to go around Philadelphia and check out the sites, which Philly is just a great city. Um, I would like to take some extra days this year, maybe and hang out. We'll see. But yes, they uh, we're actually going to be working some of the time we're there with our friends over at BA Games. Yep, they're uh, letting us come and be part of their staff <laughs> for a little while. So we're gonna uh, work a couple shifts over there, either demoing or. Working the booth and talking to people, which I'm excited about because if you don't know, I'm a people person. I'm very personable. <laughs> people like having me around. Uh, I sell paint for a living, so I guess that's <laughs> that's all I got. But yeah, no, I, I'm really excited. Um, I, I think it's going to be fun. One, we always enjoy hanging out with the BA Games guys. Uh, they are a fantastic group of people. Um, really cool that they have Forges of Ravenshire now has been kickstarted, so mm-hmm. that pressure is kind of off. Um, now they just had to figure out how to fulfill it, and then they can start working on: Is it okay to deliver pizzas in the dungeon? <laughs> you listed Sam. <laughs> One day, One day it's going to get there. I'm um, gonna, I'm gonna have a sign while we're up there. Just take me a big whiteboard. Would you like to play? Is it okay to deliver pizzas in the dungeon? Check yes or no. I think it's a genius idea. I love it. It's really a way to get the populace vote, if you know what I mean. (laughs) Sam's going to revoke our badges. I know, right? We're never going to get to come back. (laughs) Well, let's get started, because when you're going to a con like this, here's a couple things that we do know. Gen Con is big. Like, this is, I think this may be the biggest gaming convention worldwide. Uh, I don't think it's the biggest worldwide. I think Essen has it beat worldwide, but it is second, maybe third. So top three. Yeah, definitely North America. I think this is the biggest tabletop. So we're talking over 600 distributors. Yeah. We're talking an exhibition hall, which we're looking at the map right now, and it is massive. Yeah. We're talking, uh, you know, halls outside of the main hall. uh, And somewhere between probably 50 and 60,000 people. Yep. Over the course of four days, yeah. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Yep. Um, so as far as the survival guide, I read, you know, talking about it, uh, you got to plan ahead. Now we've been planning for a while. Yeah. We usually <laughs> do something like an Airbnb or something, which we did. Had it all locked down. We were set. We had some extra room in case anybody needed it. Uh, and then our Airbnb canceled because he needed to do maintenance maintenance or something that weekend. Like, all I have to say is we tried this whole planning thing and it didn't work out. I don't know that we're going to keep this up. Nope. It's like, it's just not for us. See to <laughs> the pants all the way, baby. <laughs> no, no, no. But um, so, yeah, that was uh, an interesting setback. Uh, we did find another place. So we're still we're still good to go. Um, I think one of the big things with finding a place to stay um, is you kind of have to really dig in there and look around and kind of get a feel for a city that's miles away. Yeah, I was fortunate enough that I do have a good friend of mine that lives in Indianapolis, so he was able to kind of point us away from problem areas and things like that. Yeah, because there's nothing like showing up after driving all day to a city you're not familiar to, to find out, one, the advertised place does not actually have parking for you, Um, and also it's in the middle of a neighborhood where you may or may not want to walk outside at night. So, and and, and any big city, you're going to find that, and with Airbnb... Like when you find it online, they always make it look the best. Uh, we yes. actually end up in just a hotel this time around, yep. which is fine. 
uh I really I, we were talking about it, i was like man i need a bed to crash in everything else we can figure out on the way yeah so we're good and it's just the two of us so it keeps it nice and cheap but it's definitely financially it's something you got to plan for yeah absolutely because there's no way you're getting through a con like this without spending some money no no not at all yeah i i I don't see me not spending a large amount of money and coming home with a large bag full of games. Right. The whole backseat's going to be full. Yeah. Guaranteed. Yeah. So that's something to keep in mind. Uh, if you're thinking about going to something like this, uh, what I've seen people do, too, is maybe get an Airbnb that's like can sleep, I don't know, 10, 15. I don't know how many people you have that like you. <laughs> but going as a group, uh, that can cut down on some cost. Because um, you got to also plan for things like food. So usually food in a city is going to be more expensive, um, just depending on where you're from. Um, plus, you're going to have the question of convenience versus cost. Right. 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 If you get a place that has like a kitchen or something, you could make food. But yep, we talked a little bit in the opening segment about I'm a little worried about having the stamina to do this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, all kind of stuff to figure in. Uh, parking is another big one when you're talking about being in a city. Yeah. Um, depending on how far away you get a place to stay, you may have to still drive into the city. Or take an Uber or something like that, which is yep. going to cost. That's a cost you got to figure in. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot of stuff that goes into this outside of just, um, you know, wanting to go play some board games. Right. <laughs> Aside from just paying for your badges. Yeah. Or you can offer up your services. And uh, like I said, this time around, we are going to be working the VA Games booth for them, and they were gracious enough to say, hey, if you guys come out and work our booth for a while, we'll uh, provide you with some exhibitor badges, which are one of my favorite kinds of badges, because <laughs> A, it makes it look like we know what we're doing, and B, the doors open to us sooner. Yes. So I will say that was one of my favorite parts about our last packs when we were fortunate enough to win the raffle for those two exhibitor badges yep um we got the chance to meet a lot of people that we normally would not have been able to meet like just like one-on-one type scenarios because normally they would be like surrounded by a bunch of people at their table sure you know things like that so that was really cool it gave us a chance also to walk the exhibit hall when there weren't without the crowd yeah twenty thousand people in the exhibit hall so yeah I'm, i'm excited about that as well um I'm excited about just, you know, being able to help those guys out, too. I mean, they really, um, they have been people that we've enjoyed ever since we first met Ed when he was in the area. Right. Um, So it's it's really a a great opportunity for us just to kind of, you know, work with them some more. Absolutely. So, yeah. Um, The other thing with surviving a con like this is it's always good to, one, stay hydrated. Yes, big time. Yeah. And as much as I love Wild Bill's... (laughs) And as much as I will be filling my cup, you need something else. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, because although Wild Bill's does not have caffeine in it, it does have a lot of sugar. A lot of sugar. Yeah. So. But you're going to need water, too. Like, I know some of you little drink goblins out there. <laughs> like, I can survive on nothing but coffee. No, you can't. Stop doing it. Like, you're going to. It's a diuretic. Knock it off. Yeah. So, yeah. Stay hydrated. Uh, the other big thing is good footwear. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I think it said the average Gen Con attendee walks on like 10 miles a day. Yeah, I can see that. I'm looking at this hall. <laughs> it's 10 miles just to get to the other damn side. I feel like we're going to be working on the Death Star. We go to the cantina. It's at least a 30 hour round trip. <laughs> yeah, uh, definitely important because uh, you're going to be on your feet on most of the day. Um, occasionally you'll get to sit down to demo a game maybe. 
if they have that there. Sure. Or sure. to go in one of the rooms for shows and things like that. Um, so good footwear is important. Um, also, you're going to be carrying a lot of stuff. Yeah. We traditionally uh, start the day with an empty bag, and yes. we have your uh, Geek On board game bag. Yep. Which is still one of my favorites. Great little company. I, we haven't seen them much since COVID. I think they might have been kind of keeping it low key, but their website is still up. Yeah. And there are a lot of bags out there. There are a lot of game bags that you can spend your money on to put games in yep. that are designed for it. But man, there are, I just really think their design is so much better than most of the ones that I've seen. Yeah. Just the, if you haven't looked up their stuff, take, take a look at their board game backpack. They have a smaller version now too. That's not this massive, like climbing backpack looking thing that I have. Who's that for? Um, People not committed that to. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, my wife picked it up for me. It, one, it's a fantastic company. We talked about this before. Uh, was it the first packs we went to? Um, I actually had a tear on one of the shoulder straps where the um, the netting was like coming loose. Right. And they replaced the bag for me at the con. Right. And let's be clear. Like it wasn't like it was a structural failure. Yeah. No. It, it, it was kind of cosmetic. Yeah. And, at, but it was, at worst. Yeah. And it was coming loose, and they were just like, let's get you a new one. Pick a couple. Yeah, because I, I happened to ask them, because we were there looking at some of their other stuff, because they do like uh, some pretty cool dice cases, because we, yep. have, we each have, have one, one of those that have a, a rolling tray that attaches to it. Uh, they do some cool like uh, dice towers and stuff, too. So we were looking at their stuff, and I just happened to ask them. I was like, hey, is there anything I can do about this? And the guy was like, looked at it for a second. He was like, yeah, let me just get you a new bag. And I was yep. like, I, and this is, I mean, it's a $200 bag. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's not necessarily cheap, but. I will say, up until this point, I have not found anything that does not fit in it. So far. And yeah. we've got some chunky games. Yeah. I mean, we were able, even able to fit Kill Team in it. We had to, like, kind of stick it in there straight up. Yeah. But, I mean, Kill Team's a big box. Yeah. Um, Warhammer Kill Team. And it fit. And if you see it, even now, the, the, the box is the same size for the new ones. It's two armies or two Kill Teams plus the terrain. I mean, it's, yeah. it's a chunky box. Yeah, so we can't recommend them enough. If you don't have a board game bag, there are others out there too. But if it, I mean, I carried this thing for years doing board game parties and events and things like that with friends because um, I usually had the collection where they didn't. Um, and you can fit like five or six big box games in this thing at one time. Yeah. And you can also collapse it down so it's not always huge. Um, yeah, just a lot of other little tiny pouches all over the thing. Great yeah. carrying capacity. Great for any sort of extra little stuff you've got. I know we usually end up stuffing all kinds of grab yeah. bag stuff, swag, anything we get into the top of it. A little yeah. compartment up there. Yeah. So, so it, it's just uh, really, really good. Um, the padding and everything on it is fantastic. It's not, by the end of the day, you're not like dying carrying it around. Right. Like it, it's just really fantastic. So Sherpa quality uh, straps there, baby. <laughs> yeah. They even have like a, uh, a chest strap that goes across now too. So just a um, really good company. Take a look at it. If you're in the market for a game bag, um, and definitely take a look at what they have to offer. I can't recommend them enough. Um, but as we said, when you're going to a con like this, um, obviously you're going to want to pick up, you know, games and things like that. Now, most booths will have bags that their stuff will fit into. Sure. sure. Um, but unless you're wanting to carry like five different ones, it's always a good idea to bring something to kind of store everything in. Yeah. Now I know we're in August, so it's less of an issue, 
Um, but having a bag also lets you do things like rain jackets and umbrellas. Or when we go to PAX, your jacket's for outside because oftentimes it's cold. Yep. Yeah. Well, it is December in Philadelphia, and then you get inside the hall, and the love and warmth from those <laughs> other 20,000 people really make that place nice and toasty. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. So, yeah, make sure uh bring a bag. Uh, bring something to carry some stuff in. You also may want to throw some snacks or something in there, a couple power bars. Like I said, four days, baby. This is a marathon. It's not a sprint. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, that's just kind of like our general pointers and ideas that we have. Like I said, um, we may get to Gen Con and all this might go out the window. Um, you know, like Mike Tyson said, everybody has a good plan until they get punched in the face. That's right. So um, that's, you know, I'm fully expecting that's where we'll be. And when we come back and we do a Gen Con wrap up episode, you know, with all the stuff that we found and all the stuff that we did and learned. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot of, man, I wish we would have known this before we went. I think we're going into this, though, with a little bit of experience from our PAX uh, yeah. trips uh, so we can try to maximize this. I'll tell you, I don't I don't see us getting to a lot of the events. No, maybe because a lot of those you had to register for early uh, and things like that. And we just haven't. But just being on the floor and then uh, one of the things that I'm excited about is the block party. <laughs> For those of you that don't know, uh, I am a fan of food trucks. Like, I think it's fantastic how we can take any sort of cuisine and pack it into a mobile like variety yeah. and show up. So they have like a rotating list of food trucks that are going to be there every day for like lunch and dinner and probably breakfast. Too. I think there's a breakfast session, too. So I'm I'm all about it. Like, yeah. I saw the what was it the uh, the bearded bagel or something was a food truck that's going to be there. I don't know what they're selling, but I'm buying it. <laughs> uh, but they're supposed to have like live music and stuff outside on one of the streets. There's going to be entertainment. Uh, that's where everybody apparently goes for lunch, or a lot of people go for lunch. So it's probably going to be a little wild. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, they're talking like having I don't know something like twenty food trucks a day or something. I'm excited about that part. Yeah, I, I mean, I always love going to places and trying new food. Um, but yeah, so that's our, our kind of general Gen Con survival list. Um, let's talk about some games. We've got a list, and we we pulled this list off of the Board Game Geek kind of Gen Con preview. Yep. We flipped through that, uh, saw the games that caught our eye, um, and then we cut that list down, uh, and then we cut it down again. Um, and we've got it down to 12, or, or 10 with two honorable mentions. Yeah. So we'll talk about <laughs> because top ten sounds better than top twelve. Yeah. But <laughs> <clears throat> people in the West get all weird about that. Uh, yeah, we've got ten games, and then we got a couple others that we're going to talk about on top of that that we saw that we're just looking at them and reading what they've got to offer. Um, they looked really good. Yep. So we're going to start off with uh, Fit to Print. Yeah, so this one has actually got quite a bit of buzz from um, some other uh, reviewers and things like that. I actually saw, I watched a few videos on um, some different reviewers from Australia that were going to be able to make it out to Gen Con this year. And this was on both of their lists. Um, but yeah, it is a fun little uh, puzzly kind of tile laying game about uh, making a newspaper. Um, so there are two versions you can play. One is like a real time version where everybody's scrambling to gather up the different news stories and then stack them on their desk. And then there's a second phase where you're trying to fit them into the newspaper um, and then print it to 
give them the most points. I'm a fan of like real time games. Yeah. Um, I think they're fun. I think they provide a different element. Um, and you don't end up with those scenarios where somebody is like having analysis paralysis and can't really like make decisions. Now, if that's not your thing, it's okay. There is another mode that you can play that slows it down and has people take turn by turn. Some more of a turn based kind yeah, of yeah, doing things. So um, this one looks really cool. I like the theme on it. I think it's kind of unique. It's got little furry woodland creatures on it that are actually printing the paper, which I think is always adorable. So it's something I definitely want to check out. That's fit to print. Uh, the publisher is flat out games. Next up on the list, we have Four Horsemen, um, an epic cooperative resource management and deck building game. You take on the mantle of legendary heroes and prevent the end of the world. First of all, cooperative games, uh, something we're a fan of. Yep. Uh, I'm a fan of deck builders. It seems to be something that I do decently well. Uh, and I also like the theme. Uh, the, the heroes that are uh, posted in the pictures that they have are uh, Uriel. Uh, Persephone, Achilles, uh, Perseus, the spawn or the bad guys are in, uh, the seven deadly sins look like they're in here. Fenrir, uh, there's ghosts, there's Loki. So it, it seems like this is spread out over multiple different, over multiple genres. Like it's not just Greek mythology. It looks like there's some, it even might be a little, little bit of Christian mythology in there. <laughs> Uh, it looks good, and I, I am a sucker for a good theme. Yep. So sign me up. Yeah, this one has like some cool asymmetrical hero powers. Uh, you have your own different starting decks. Um, yeah, it, it looks interesting. Um, I definitely want to check this one out and see, because the art is fantastic. The art is just gorgeous. Yeah. Um, so everything from the monster cards to the heroes, the whole nine yards. Um, it looks very, very interesting. Definitely want to check it out and kind of see what it's all about. Um, so this one looks like the publisher on it is Win-Win Board Games. So we will see. Uh, it's a one to four player, too, which is fantastic. I like games that have a good solo mode. So we'll see what this one has. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, uh, definitely want to take a look at it while we're, we're there at Gen Con. Uh, the next one we saw is Starfighters Rapid Fire. So Starfighters Rapid Fire uh, is another real-time game. Uh, it's a real-time dice rolling, um, but it includes a like tactical starship combat element. All right, so um, it's got a few different modes. It's got like a 1v1, a free-for-all, 2v2, or even a solo mode. Um, so you roll the dice uh, in real time, and then once you get, uh, once there's a stop to all that, you assign the dice into different actions on your starship. Right. Um, it looks kind of there's a Yahtzee mechanic because there's a roll and a re-roll. Yep. Okay. Um, and there are different uh, things you can do on your ship, stuff like activating the like guns to your shields to your movement, um, all these different things. Um to me, this actually kind of reminds me of uh, Intergalactic Ace. It, it's kind of what we wanted that game to be, I feel like. Right. Um, just kind of in the descriptions and things that I've read of it. So we will see. Yeah. Um, it's definitely I'm, I'm always interested in ship to ship combat, like and see how they 
are able to port that into a board game. Yeah. Um, just to see kind of what that looks like. So definitely one I want to check out a just kind of take a look at and see how it does what it does. Um, and that is by uh, Alley Cat Games. Uh, the next one is one that it's not an expansion, it's, but it takes place in the world of the Isle of Cats. Yep. Which was a game we talked a little bit about last year. It was pretty popular. And this one is The Race to the Raft. Now, again, I'm a fan of themes. And the theme of this game is the cats on the Isle of Cats are running from like fires, but they will only run on the color of tiles that correspond to them, which is the most cat thing I've ever heard. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Come on. Come this way. Nope. That tile's not yellow. Burn then, cat. So I don't know if I could play this game without losing it a little bit, but this one looks really interesting. Uh, like we said, it takes place in the Isle of Cats. It's one to four players. Uh, and you try, to, you you take on the role of disoriented island cats who are lost in a smoke-filled island. Um, so they're all confused, and they're all trying to get away from the fire and the smoke. But again, they only move on the tiles that correspond to their colors. So yellow cats on yellow, green cats on green, that sort of thing. Yeah, um, so Isle of Cats is a very fun polyomino game where you're trying to fit these cat tiles onto your boat. And you have to try and like fit them in together and you get points for like grouping them up and making families and things like that. Um, this continues that theme of with the polyominoes. Um, yeah, I, I think this one looks really fantastic. Again, this one is another one that has received quite a bit of hype um, just because of the um, popularity of Isle of Cats. Yes. So I'm definitely interested to see because this one leans into a cooperative game, whereas Isle of Cats is competitive. So I want to see the way they kind of um, work this one out because there was a really cool um, kind of action selection mechanic in Isle of Cats or an action point mechanic where um, they kind of determine how many things you could do. Um, so I, I'm interested to see kind of how this game is designed and, and if it takes that any steps further. I'm really interested in the it's got 81 different scenarios in it. And uh, they start out really simple and tutorial. And then they gradually introduce you to new rules and more advanced rules in the game to make it more of a challenge. Yep. So that part of it sounds really interesting, uh, just kind of to see a, a game that's going to build like that. So if I'm not mistaken, I was watching a review on this and um, someone had done a demo copy and it has a um, limited communication mechanic in it where you can't really like tell players what to do kind of thing. But there is a... If it's this game, I remember correctly. Again, this might not be correct, but um, there is a mechanic where you can uh, have a certain tile and you can meow at the person who's playing if you don't want them to do something. You can't physically tell them, no, that's not what I want you to do, but you can be like, meow, meow, <laughs> meow. <That's> so, <laughs> one word could mean a lot. Yeah. Yeah, so um, if that if that is this game, oh, I believe that was this. I mean, it sounds fantastic, and that's hilarious. Um, but yeah, definitely something I want to check out and see um, what the designer has done with this version of the game. So. so the next one is one that I've really heard a lot about lately, and I've read into, and it looks like a lot of fun. It's been out for a little while, I think, and that is The City of the Great Machine. It's a strategy game set in this kind of grim universe of the technocratic Victorian steampunk. Basically, you're in conflict with the Great Machine, which is an artificial intelligence network. So your players, you can either be a group of heroes that kind of band together against the Great Machine, 
to start a revolution. Uh, you're trying to dis- to encourage uh, discontent in the city. You're trying to start riots while this AI works against you. There is a version where a person plays as the great machine or it is automated with the game mechanics. I, I, I want to see how that works. So I'm really hoping there's a demo yeah. of this one when we get there. Um, who's the publisher on the crowd games uh, published this one? Uh, yeah, this is a fantastic looking kind of one versus many hidden movement game. Uh, we haven't really gotten very many of those in our collection. Nope. Um, there's a few that have come up that are really good stuff like Fury of Dracula, Letters from Whitechapel, things like that, that are very good hidden movement games. It's not something we have added to the collection yet. Um, so I'm interested to see this one because I do like the theme, um, that kind of Victorian steampunk era. It yes. Seems very cool. And this, uh, you know, the people versus the AI. I think that's a fantastic theme that I don't think has been been used enough. Um, there are some really cool, uh, like there are some tiles on the board that can be changed to make the city layout different for each game. So you can really kind of mix that up. Um, yeah, this one looks really cool. I, I like the artwork on it as well. It uh, looks like it might be a little bit complex, but um, yeah, definitely something that I want to take a look at and just see what's what it's got going on. The next one is coming out of Darrington Press. And I think this is their second board game because they did Ukatoa. And these are the guys over at Critical Role, or this kind of spawned out of uh, out of that whole movement. And it is uh, Queen by Midnight. The premise of the game is there was a Midnight Queen and she died. And now all of the princesses are fighting to take over that spot. It is a Battle Royale style deck builder card game. Uh, it says it's a game of guile, deception, and brawn, which I like that. There's more than one way to win. Six princesses each feature unique tactics uh, and the ba- that they're going to use throughout the game. And at the end, the most powerful princess at the stroke of midnight becomes the new queen. Coming from Darrington Press, uh, I would expect this to be a fu- this to be a fun game. Uh, and it is a it's a three to six player game. Yep. Uh, there is some really cool uh, table presence with this game. Um, it has like this really fancy clock tower that doubles as both a dice tower and like a place where um, you can select cards uh, or buy cards from like a market. So um, definitely uh, looks very interesting on the table. Yeah. Um, I'm interested to see more about this one as well. Um, I think that I like the Battle Royale style. Uh, I'm curious to see how that fits in with a deck builder. Yes. Uh, I want to see how those mechanics kind of work together. Uh, But yeah, I I think the theme and stuff looks really fun. Uh, Definitely something that uh, I'm excited to take a look at. They say there's nearly 200 cards that are themed for each specific princess, plus an additional like 75 cards that I guess you can buy through the game. Uh, that's that's a lot to work with. Yeah. So I'm excited for that one. Uh, the next one that we got is a game that actually uh, was kickstarted a little while ago, has started to deliver to backers as well, is The Witcher Old World. Um, so if you're like me and have fallen into the um, Witcher Netflix series, um, this has been kind of a subject that has been brought to the forefront, I guess, in the past couple of years recently. Obviously, there were the games, which were immensely popular. Um, the books are also fantastic um, if you ever get a chance to read them. But yeah, this is one of those um, 
falls right up our alley. It's got a bunch of really cool miniatures. That's kind of a explore the world uh, type board games uh, where you play as a witcher. Two to five players. And there it says it has a vast map to travel across, embarking on quests, encounters, making am- making ambiguous moral choices and fighting monsters. I'm down. Yeah, yeah. So it is a competitive adventure game, um, which is most of the time you see games like this, they're more cooperative. Um, so in this game, you not only are taking on like quests and you're fighting monsters, but sometimes you actually fight other witchers as well. Um, so was, I think it's really cool. Um, this one looks really good. I part of me is kicking myself that I did not back the Kickstarter. Um, but then again, I'm also like, man, we at that time we had just backed Marvel Zombies as well. So I'm not that hurt about it, but I do want to see the game in action, what it looks like, uh, because I may be picking this up, you know, after everything gets delivered, uh, just to kind of take a look at it and see. Because, um, again, this sounds right up our alley. Bunch of fancy miniatures. Um, looks really good on the table. Yeah, it looks really good on the table. Yeah. Diced veggies. Uh, this was a unique one that we spotted. And watching it and looking at the post that it has, just looking through the pictures, really interesting. Uh, so basically, you're going to play the part of a chef, and it's up to you to carefully carve out the right ingredients and turn them into a culinary masterpiece. You start off with a set of D6s that are all different colors that represent different sort of ingredients. Uh, you shake them up, kind of put them into a block. And then it gives you this little cardboard cleaver, which I've already decided I'm going to have to find me a real cleaver to play this game with. And you have to slice out your portion of uh, ingredients that you need to build whatever dish you're building. Yep. So each player has like a collection of dishes that they are trying to um, get the ingredients for. Uh, when you're carving out the dice, there are certain rules you have to follow. Like you always have to come from the edge and the amount of dice you take, the pips in them total cannot be more than 10. So it looks like a kind of a unique type game. Um, one of those that it's one of those kind of lighter games you would break out that people have never seen anything like this before. Right. When you're trying to like tell people about board games and they've only ever played things like, you know, traditional Monopoly or you know, risk or clue, or you, you take your pick, you bring out something like this and it's like, Oh yeah, we'll check this out. Look, I have a cardboard cleaver. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> this, that mechanic in itself, I, I think is really unique. I've never seen anything else like it. I, 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 I really hope this one's demoed. I want to sit down and play this one. I'm curious to see how much of it is a gimmick. Yeah. And, and like how much it actually adds to the game value. That's what I don't write. Yeah. That's what I would like to see. Because it looks fun on the pictures, it looks fun here, but it, some of the artwork kind of reminds me of the old uh, mobile game, the Fruit Slash game, you know what I'm talking uh, about? Yeah, Fruit Ninja. Yeah, uh, that's kind of what the the box reminds me of, so <laughs> does this work as a board game? I don't know, we'll find out. <laughs> Alright, so the next one that we have is My Island. So My Island is the spiritual successor to My City um, that came out in 2020, I believe. Um, It is a competitive legacy game in which you are trying to build your own island um, on this like hexagonal grid. Um, There it is a 24 game long legacy game. 
um, that you get to um, kind of experience like a, a the background of your island, figure out what secrets are on it. Um, and then like as most legacy games do as the game kind of progresses, it keeps adding more and more rules to make the game more complex. Right. Um, my city is has been a hit for a lot of people. Uh, a lot of people enjoyed the puzzliness of it and just the the general nature of the game. Um, it is a 30 minute play time. So it's one of those that you can kind of break out if you have a regular gaming group. Maybe play a round of this before you play something else um, to kind of keep working through the legacy aspect. So, yeah, um, this one looks interesting. Um, I'm more curious. I haven't got a chance to really look or play my city. Um, so I'm interested just to take a look at this one to see what all the fuss is about, really, um, just to be honest, um, and, and see if it's something that um, we might enjoy. And the publisher on that is Cosmos Games. Yep. yep. And that's where you should be able to find it if you wander into the hall. So this next one. Uh, this is definitely one that caught my attention, again, because of my love of themes. This is The Stuff of Legends, uh, and it came out this year, so it should be available. Uh, they said the retail on it, the MSRP is like 100 bucks, and it is set it is set in World War II. Uh, but as like the war is raging, this other battle is taking place in a child's bedroom in Brooklyn, where the boogeyman has snatched a child and takes him to the realm of the dark. And the children's playthings, led by the toy soldier known as the Colonel, band together to stage a daring rescue. The front of the box, you can see the toys like wandering. It looks like into the dark and there's the teddy bear and like their child's playthings from like the 30s and 40s. The theme of this one just looks amazing. So each player takes on the role of one of the boys loyal toys and each have their own unique abilities, which again, we're always a fan of the asymmetrical uh, player powers. And you work cooperatively scouring the dark in search of the boy before the boogeyman can escape with him. Um. Through the course of the game, your allegiance may change. At any point, your fellow players could be secretly working against you. Which, that's a mechanic that we've had in a couple of other games that we've yeah, played. The Nemesis. hidden traitor element yeah. Yeah, is is always a, an interesting one. Um, yeah, this one, I do agree. I think it has a very unique theme. Right. It, it does look a little, little crunchy. Uh, it says it's for three to six players, and they rate it best with five players and it's got like an hour to two hour playtime on it um but i really like i don't know what it is that's drawing me to this game uh, i want to see it in person uh, they do have some miniatures that look pretty good they have a lot of uh looks like cardboard standees uh to kind of set out the board and i yeah uh i'm interested in see i'm interested in the theme of this game and to see how how replayable it may be yeah this one does look pretty cool um, it's definitely unique. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I want to take a look at it. Um, just kind of, just kind of see what it's all about. Uh, I think that's a, a theme that you just do not see very often. Yeah. Um, I like that there is a hidden trader mechanic in it that always makes cooperative games have a little bit extra umph. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I'm definitely excited about that one as well. Um, so that is our 10. We do have a the publisher on that one. Oh. So the publisher on Stuff of Legend is 3WS Games. All right, so that is R10. Uh, we do have a couple honorable mentions because uh, we have kind of talked about them before, uh, but they are supposed to be at Gen Con, 
Whether or not they're available to purchase, we're not sure, but it, they're supposed to at least have demos of them. Right. First up is the Apex Legends board game. Now, Apex Legends has gotten to be a pretty popular video game. The guys that made it, uh, you know, it's a free-to-play game that you can log into. You play as a random three-person team, Battle Royale style, that gets dropped into a war zone. And you've got to pick up your own weapons and armor and upgrades and all that. Well, they took that and turned it into a board game. And everything that I'm seeing looks like it's true to the video game. Yeah, it looks like it's pulled straight out of the game. Um, like one of the characters, uh, Gibraltar, he drops a dome shield. And there's like a little dome shield type miniature that you can drop that you can see in the pictures. So, yeah, uh, I'm interested to see how this goes. Um, this kind of reminds me of there was a Firefly um, kind of miniature game that came out. Um, it, it kind of looks like that. Right. Um, so I'm interested to see how they do like the combat system and, you know, things like that. So um, I'm curious to see if it leans more towards like miniature combat games or more towards like board games. Right. That's the question I have. Like this kind of may have like a kill team kind of feel to it because you're, you're small team, highly tactical. It's for two to four players in the video game. Your play area slowly uh, decreases forcing everybody together and it looks like they've taken the portion of the game where you're like in your final rings on king's canyon so you're right there together like i don't think there's going to be a lot of ability to hide or you know it's it, it's going to be in your face team on team battle yeah this one definitely looks really cool as a fan of the video game i always love to see good implementations like coming back across so definitely excited to to see some of this one it looks like there's at least six different characters. Yeah, we're definitely going to check out the demo. Uh, and finally, uh, our second honorable mention is going to be Unmatched Adventures Tales to Amaze from uh, Restoration Games. Yep. They uh, have been putting out the Unmatched series for a while, and now Marvel has you know their hands firmly in it. Um, there's a Buffy the Vampire Slayer yep. section. There's some Jurassic Park. So... The idea in the original Unmatched is it's a one-on-one or a two-on-two deck builder, uh, direct combat type of game where you have a map that you've got to move around and position yourself on. Tales to Amaze does like Dice Throne Adventures and makes it a PvE game. Yep. So this one looks really cool. It's kind of built around um, like tall tales and local legends. Um, so there are two villains in it, uh, Mothman and the Martian invader, uh, which I think it's fa- fantastic. Um, yeah, straight out of the mid 20th century. Good times. Um, and you are trying to defeat these villains. Um, I, I like how they have taken this combat system and now they are working towards this cooperative game right um, i think that's very unique we did back it on kickstarter so we are excited to see uh, and actually get our hands on playing it we do enjoy the unmatched series just in general yep um one of the cool things i like is that you can use the there are four heroes that come in this set but you can use the unmatched heroes from other sets that you have in unmatched adventures i also like uh the possible minions uh, the Jersey Devil, the Ant Queen, Loveland Frog, the Blob, Tarantula, and the Skunk Ape, yeah. which are all local legend, you know, cryptozoo or cryptids, uh, 
it, that looks like a lot of fun. And the four that come with it are Nikola Tesla, Annie Christmas, Dr. Jill Trent, and the Golden Bat, the world's first superhero. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then again, like I said, we have uh, we have several boxes uh, of the Unmatched series already, so you should be able to pull out your favorite hero from those and throw them into this. Uh, which I really think a Bigfoot goes in swinging with a tree trunk and it might just solve all the problems. <laughs> yeah, I, I think this is definitely a fun looking game. Like I said, we did back it on Kickstarter because we liked the way that it looked. Um, but yeah, those are our games that we are looking forward to for Gen Con. Um, so yeah, I'm sure we will get up there and we will see tons more. Um, so we'll definitely have to do a Gen Con wrap-up episode when we get back. Maybe part one and part two. Yeah, yeah. Um, but this is definitely ones we're going into it, um, looking to at least try and get a look at. That's, I know that's, that's why I take my time. I take my time. Before I make my mind. Before up. I make my mind. Up. And I do this like seven, seven days, days out of the week. And I grind so hard, I don't get much sleep. I had to earn my stripes. So we've got three games that we're looking at today, and the first one is a little bit of a twist on Arthurian legend. Yeah, um, looking at this project, um, it brings to mind a couple questions. First of all, are we Simon fanboys? Ooh. I mean, we like minis. Maybe that's a question for a future episode. Uh, what we're talking about is Simon's newest project coming to Kickstarter, and that's Mordred. And nothing uh, else, I'll tell you, I do like guillotine games just because, I mean, I think guillotines could be fun. I like them because they also are part of the production team on Zombicide. Right. Um, but yeah, so Mordred, this game looks fantastic. It has fantastic minis that we all expect from Simon, but the gameplay looks really interesting. This is an area control game, and it is based, obviously, on our... Theory and Legend, the three um, leaders that you're trying to win favor from are Mordred, Morgana, and Merlin. You get to choose a faction to play. High Elves, Humans, Hobars, which look like Orcs, maybe? Or Orcish looking? And <laughs> Underground Dwarves. Asymmetrical faction powers, and you are trying to control areas. By controlling areas, you win favor from the the leaders that are around the board. On top of that, there are knights that you can recruit, so you can kind of start to build the round table yourself. There are monsters that lurk on the board that can cause, you know, havoc for you or other players. And everything that you do, you spend time to uh, to either, you know, muster forces or move them or work magic. So it looks like a really interesting gameplay. They do have a gameplay video on their Kickstarter. Um, they also have stretch goals because, again, this is what Simon does. <laughs> yep. And good Lord, there's lots of stretch goals. Yeah, I, I really like the way the art style of this looks really, really cool. I'm very interested in the like time as a resource mechanic. The way they kind of bring it out is using um, kind of like a rondelle system. Uh, where you you work around it to every time you choose an action, and some actions will cost you more time. So as a player, um, one of the other players at the table may be able to do multiple actions before you get to take another action if you chose like a really big one. So interesting mechanics here. 
Um, we watched a little bit of the playthrough video that uh, is on the Kickstarter from the Dice Tower guys. Uh, it looks really cool. Of course, the miniatures and everything are gorgeous. There is a little twist at the end. I don't want to kind of spoil everything, uh, but it has to do with a separate board uh, that ends up, um, I guess, kind of like opening up and yeah, yeah, and creating like a whole new like realm to vie for power in. So there's a lot of really interesting stuff with this one. Uh, it's pretty straightforward as far as pledge levels go. Uh, there is only one pledge level, kind of the baseline. Right. Um, it's $110, which is pretty expectable out of Simon Games currently. Now, there are some add-ons that you can get after the pledge manager comes out. Uh, there's a couple expansions they already have that add some new factions. Um, there's one that adds, um, looks like some hero-type characters. Um, so a couple different things you can add once the pledge manager comes out, but yeah, this is one definitely take a look at. Um, if you like dudes on a map area control type games, um, this looks like a really good one that is, uh, coming out from Simon. Seven days left is time of recording. So, uh, should be just under a week by the time you're listening to this. Uh, but Simon always does late pledges as well. So we went ahead and threw this one on there Yep, and they are three times over what they, uh, had set for their goal. So it's definitely happening. And as with all Simon games, there's lots and lots of stretch goals already unlocked. Yep. So the next game we want to talk about actually comes from the designers and studio who did the RPG Coyote and Crow. Um, this is called Wolves. It's a semi-cooperative game for three to six players about community survival, um, again, from indigenous creators. This game is interesting, right? Uh, we were we were looking over it, trying to figure out what the wind mechanic is, and I, the wind mechanic is, uh, yeah, it's a little, it, it's unusual. Yeah. So the premise of the game is each player is controlling a tribe. Each of the tribe has various abilities um, that allow them to gather resources uh, or something like that better than or different than the other tribes. The goal is to have everyone survive over eight rounds. Um, it's kind of simulating um, like different tribes that live near each other trying to survive winter by gathering, you know, food and other resources to make that happen. Um, as a tribe, you can gather what you need and anything extra you can actually share with other tribes to hopefully meet the needs that they have. Now, as the turns continue to go and time goes on, you get closer to winter and resources become more and more scarce. What I like about this game is that if at any point in the game, one of the tribes does not get its needs met, then the game just ends. It's over and everyone loses. Right. You're trying to get yourself, I guess, elected as the chief, but everybody has to survive. So, I mean, you can have your own personal aspirations, but if you you know lose people... You lose. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I don't know if there's another game that I've played that has a mechanic similar to that. I guess the kind of everyone wins or everyone loses mechanic is kind of common in um, most cooperative games, but I think the the fact that you as a player have to also like take care of everyone while still trying to forward your own goals, uh, I, I think is a very interesting take on it. And I do like, of course, the 
the whole background and kind of story of the game. Yes. Uh, I, I think there's a lot of really interesting takes here. Uh, we do, of course, love the Coyote and Crow RPG. Uh, we've talked about that multiple times. Um, and I really think this is a great game coming out of the same same group. Sure. The inspiration for a lot of it is uh, definitely you know, coming from that culture. Uh, the game is called Wolves, but there are no wolves in the game, but it refers to uh, that popular kind of allegory about two wolves. It's often mistakenly attributed to Cherokee people, they say, but it's basically the story of, you know, you have two wolves and whichever one you feed is the one that gets stronger. And they're like, yeah, but that's not the whole story because that's way too simple for how humans work. Yeah. So you can try to make yourself, can try to be the chief, but if you're not taking care of the rest of your people or the other tribes as well, again, you lose the game. So they have an environmental commitment. Uh, they have had some plastic, they said, in some of their other games. Wolves uh, won't include any plastics, no baggies, no shrink wrap, nothing. Instead, the game will be made from a combination of recycled, sustainable, and biodegradable materials throughout. Uh, wooden paper components, things like that. I, I really i am one of those people that, hey, if you do something that helps take care of the environment, it's probably not a bad thing. There's that, and there's also, as you we talk about the uh, levels that you can back at, there's donation levels, too. Yep. So you can get one for you and give one to someone else. Yeah, so looking at those levels, uh, the initial pledge level is $55. Uh, that is just one copy of Wolves. Uh, very straight up. Uh, the next level is 110. This is the one of the donation levels. So you get a copy of Wolves, uh, plus they actually donate a copy for um, included in that. Uh, and the donation copy goes to uh, nonprofit organizations. That's right. Once they're uh, once they're in the shipping phase, they said they'll have a sign up form for organizations that they can request a game that'll be sent to them free of charge from those of us that back it and donate. So the next one is two hundred and thirty dollars. Uh, it includes a copy for yourself and a donated copy, and it also includes other things that they have produced. So uh, you get a copy of Coyote and Crow, the RPG. You get a set of their custom dice, uh, one of the story guide screens. You get a copy of a dice game that they also made. Um, so it's a whole little package. Uh, if you're curious about Coyote and Crow, um, this is a great way to kind of get a little bit of everything. The last uh, level that you can back at is $350. Uh, gives you a copy of the physical book of Coyote and Crow, the role-playing game, the custom dice, the story guide screen, a uh, copy of the dice game, and a set of limited edition enamel pins, 21 in total, one for every path and archetype in Coyote and Crow. Um, you also get a signed print of the new piece of Coyote and Crow art from, uh, their, from their new uh, expansion that they're doing. Um, plus, you'll receive, you know, a copy of Wolves and a donated copy as well. Yeah. So this one looks really cool. Um, they are planning on delivery in March 2024, um, which any time that a Kickstarter package says it's less than a year, I think it's fantastic. Uh, <laughs> there are 19 days to go as of time of recording. So you probably got a couple weeks to get in and check this out. And their pledge goal was only 25 grand. So they are um, already at 67000 So it is funded. And let's talk the last little game that we found. A couple of episodes ago, we did talk about the industry and supporting women creators, non-binary creators, people of color. And we found this one, and the creator uh, comes on in the video to talk to you about it. Uh, it is a fun-looking little game. It looks like it looks like one of these games is going to be kind of easy to learn but hard to master. Yep. Um, and we're talking about Avant Card. 
It is an art collecting deck building game. Um, opening up the game, it has like a little travel package. Um, I actually saw this on a video. It's a game where you try to build a deck and you play different pieces of art. You're trying to build kind of an art collection. Um, you can buy more cards. You can expand what you're, you have in your hand. Um, and it's kind of got like an Uno mechanic where when you lay one down, the next one either needs to be the same color, the same number. Yep. Um, and each of them have different powers that go uh, along with their numbers. So you can change the game up a little bit. Uh, it looks like a lot of fun. Uh, it was funded in like 36 hours. Yeah, it looks like a really kind of like quick little card game. Um, I do like the, those are the patron cards that actually change the rules of the game. Um, they allow like certain cards to be wild or, you know, different different things like that. Um, and there are three different sets of patron cards, so you can constantly change up the way that the game ends up playing. Uh, I, I think that looks really cool. Um, there are some cool like Kickstarter edition stuff, like some metal coins. Right. I mean, we are suckers for metal coins. Right. You know. I, I love how when you when you package this thing up, the cards are divided up by color and by number, and you kind of put them in their own stacks, and the box just folds on itself. Yes. So, I mean, it looks like it's easy to pack. This is going to be a great game to take with you for, you know, travel and things like that. They do have a print-and-play version, so you get the full art print-and-play files for Avant Card for $3. So... I mean, it's almost just jump on this because it's going to be good and you've got a printer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, The next pledge level is a $10 pledge, which is for brick and mortar locations um, just to kind of get them in the door so they can make orders for cases of it. Um, But then we get to the standard edition that we run into here. So $20 will get you one copy of the standard edition of the physical game. Um, And of course, shipping charge later, like most Kickstarters. you do also get any unlocked stretch goals. You also get the full print and play files um, when you do just the standard $20 pledge. For uh, $29, lets you upgrade into the Kickstarter edition, uh, which includes the five metal coin tokens. Um, and there's a Londoner's micro expansion that's also included with the Kickstarter edition. Um, of course, same thing as before. You also get the full print and play um, with any unlocked stretch goals with that one. So they did have one more pledge level. Unfortunately, it's all backed right now. It was a $100 stretch goal, um, which you got the Kickstarter edition um, of the game that came with all the metal coins and the extras and things like that. Um, the $100 one gave got a homemade engraved uh, wooden card box for the game. So like I said, unfortunately, that is sold out right now, uh, but you can still pick up the Kickstarter edition for $29 there on the Kickstarter. That's right. You can scroll down on there. They've got some great play videos. Uh, as a matter of fact, somebody who we're kind of a fan of, uh, Danny Standring, she's got a video where she breaks it out and shows you how to play it. So the stretch goals, which is already unlocked, is just uh, the magnetic box to travel in. Uh, so that'll protect your game um, as you move around. But this one looks like it's a lot of fun. It looks like it's small, travelable, like I said, fast, easy to play. Yeah, right now it's got 23 days to go. So it really did just get started uh, and it's already reached its pledge level um, uh, it had a pledge level of 14,000 it's reached 20,000 already so awesome definitely going to get made feel free to take a look at this one uh, looks really fun um, definitely check it out and see if it's something that you would enjoy and with that mighty jaw mike uses his signature move the vice grip to add two pieces to his inventory pushing cactus jacked to the edge but wait 
Cactus Jack is using his move, Feigning Death, to get his signature cactus piece from the supply. A simple push into the middle of the board forces Mighty Jaw Mike off the edge of the ring, making Cactus Jack the winner. For the Dapper Meeple, I'm Jim. And I'm Josh. Good night, everyone. Thanks, everyone, for sticking around and listening to our show. If you enjoyed it, let me ask you a favor. Follow us and leave us a like wherever you get your podcast. It really helps us out. And if you have anything to say back to us, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for The Dapper Meeple. On Twitter, our handle is at The Dapper Meeple, or email us at dappermeeplegaming at gmail.com. And as always, we'll save you a seat at the table. <laughs>